Hello and welcome to the Stacked Podcast, brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams, hosted by me, Harry Gollop. Stacked with incredible content from the most influential and successful data teams, interviewing industry experts who share their invaluable journeys, groundbreaking projects, and most importantly, their key learnings. So get ready to join us as we uncover the dynamic world of modern data. Hi guys, welcome to the Data Stack podcast. Today I'm joined by Ferg and Nav from Carbon Underwriting. It's a pleasure to have you on guys. How are you doing? All good. Yeah, all good. Cheers. Cheers for having us on. Brilliant, brilliant. First, for the audience guys, it'd be great if you could just give us a quick intro to both yourselves and, and Carbon Underwriting and what you guys are, are all about. So I'm Fergus, I'm the lead analytics engineer here at Carbon. I've uh, been at Carbon for two and a half years now. Uh, I was one of the first sort of 10 employees and the first sort of non-senior hire to the tech team. Previous to that, I worked in sort of payments, fintech and various bits like that. Yeah, I probably started pretty much around about the same time as Fergus and been here, like I said, almost the same time. And I've had a sort of exciting background in like data consulting before that, like, you know, development, software development, built a startup products, data products for uh, various different global enterprises before uh, moving into carbon and this exciting new insurance proposition. Perfect. Uh, interesting journeys and give us a bit of uh, an overview of carbon underwriting and, and what you guys really, really are all about and, and deliver. Yeah. So carbon essentially stemmed from our, we've got our three founders of uh, Nick, Ben and Jackie. They worked for a sort of pretty large insurance entity beforehand. Um, and they sort of realized that the data that they had wasn't being sort of used to its full potential. And so this led to them sort of leaving, start up their own sort of syndicate. Uh, they started on the syndicate in a box scheme, which is sort of the Lloyd's startup scheme for insurance syndicates. You go through quite a rigorous sort of three-year uh, sort of process. But what you really need to start a syndicate in a box is you need a sort of unique value proposition. You need something that's innovative in the market. The idea was there was sort of these large incumbents that have been going for sort of upwards of 300 years and they're sort of very happy to sort of trund along and say, well, we're still making money. There's no need for us to innovate. Lloyd starts up a scheme so that we have innovation in the market, whether that's sort of a new tech product, which is in our case, it might be there's a venture capital uh, sort of syndicate in a box, there's a ESG syndicate in a box and sort of algo underwriting, all those sort of bits. Uh, so we've been on the sort of three-year process through the syndicate in a box scheme. Um, with Graphene, which is our tech product, which is our tech product being our sort of, um, we've recently graduated to being a full syndicate, which means the sort of the training wheels are off mm. and we're allowed to go sort of in the underwriters terms, gangbusters on sort of new territories, new classes without these sort of like um, sort of restrictions that Lloyd's puts in. Amazing, amazing. So your business was born out of innovation and I think that's what we're going to dive into today, uh, you've already mentioned it, your, uh, your tech product, your data product, Graphene, and, and that's what today's episode is, is all about, um, the creation of, of data products at scale that are gonna essentially drive business value. So you've already mentioned insurance, a very traditional business, been around for a long time as an industry. How are you guys using tech to innovate in your industry? I think one, one thing we all can agree on that with an insurance market here, from technical point of view, we're not building rockets. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we know, we're not building tech that is as advanced as launching a rocket. Very simple problems, very simple data problems. 
but faced by a lot of cultural change. What we found in insurance specifically is people being working in non-sort of data tech culture quite a long time. And like any other industry, tech comes in and promises a whole new world. But as we humans don't often like the change, then there is this cultural aspect which comes into the place because to adopt new tech, you got to ultimately become the tech and embed that culture internally and then go through that change process. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we sort of, you know, still trying to tackle with and any other insure tech or any tech startup within insurance trying to deal with is how do they apply these technical solutions with respect to the culture of the industry and then they change the culture in a positive way so using tech and data just becomes a norm. And then from there on, you just copy-paste solutions, models that have worked across all of the other industries, whether it's marketing, retail, manufacturing. These industries have been innovated with data for quite a long time, tech. But once you've got that cultural grip, that understanding of what are the key triggers, how you can seamlessly transform this industry or a business with the use of tech, but also not disrupting the cultural flow or the way people work. And I think then you can easily copy-paste a lot of models out of the industry. And that's what we've sort of done and are doing, probably will be doing for for some time in the future as well, because copy-paste those simple models of technology and apply that in here, see the value, move forward. If you don't see the value, go back to the sketchboard again, rewrite it, come back again. Just to give a, maybe a brief overview of like what graphene is and does of the, the problem that it's solving is now said is um, this sort of not being able to use your data in a the sort of correct way or an efficient way. Um, previously in sort of our founders last company, it was essentially run on Excel. We have, so every single sort of business area had their own sort of quite large Excel files that made up their sort of their database for their individual sort of like business unit. But combining that up to these sort of higher levels or um, combining sort of across classes of business was something that just wasn't done or took months to do because everyone had the individual data model essentially that they had built in order to sort of um, service their business area. Um, so what we're doing is combining everything together into a common data model. And that is really the core of our product is a common data model with an analytics suite built on top of it. So what we do is we get all of the data from so essentially insurances, premium claims and risk data. We get all of that data in from our different sort of cover holders and MGAs. We standardize it all into our common data model and display that back to the underwriters in a variety of different formats. Obviously the most basic being sort of your standard BI of sort of dashboards. Then we've also got a lot of a host of other solutions that we've got plugins for Excel. So um, anyone that's still a little bit scared of uh, using dashboards can download the data Exactly the same, it's exactly the same format, but straight into Excel. Um, similarly, we've got a sort of um, a natural language-based search solution where you can search for the insight that you want. That will generate SQL, which will then sort of provide you with the insight and sort of a variety of other tools aside from that. The fact that Ferg said earlier about the bringing, like people got a lot of Excel sort of stuff, legacy, various different ways of combining them. But what we focused on and you know, extend on a lot is our common data model that plug-and-play data model, can you just bring in any cover holder data into it and then see the performance out 
just plug that data in and see what comes out. That is sort of, I think, the real sort of value that we get out of graphene and helps us making it into a full data ecosystem. And now plug it into any apps, whether Excel, mobile app, a website, a dashboard, or whatever, but you see golden standard data everywhere. Brilliant, brilliant. So you guys essentially are taking a, a very outdated system. Excel is obviously widely used, I think, in, still in, in every business, and I don't think Excel will ever die, but it, I suppose in a way creating that sort of single source of, of truth in terms of a, a database connecting the, all the business's data um, and then being able to allow them to action and, and gain insights of it um, at a much quicker rate. Amazing. So at Carbon Underwriting, you're clearly leading the way for data transformation within the insurance world. It doesn't seem like this is being done in, in many other areas. Are you able to give us uh, a bit more of an overview of your, your platform, your tool, um, Graphene, and, and how it's specifically exploiting business value? Um, I feel like I answered quite a lot of that yeah. in the previous one. Yeah. So maybe, maybe jumped ahead a little bit there with, uh, with that. Um, but essentially what it provides is this ability to chop and change your data um, up to sort of a portfolio level and down to these individual risk levels. So when we're giving this tool to, we give this tool to sort of everyone in the value chain with Carbon. Um, so we're trying to provide this value to our sort of cover holders and give them back data that they wouldn't otherwise see. Um, a lot of them will just, again, they work primarily in Excel files. They have no way of checking the performance of their portfolio. They often don't have links with their, uh, with the sort of TPAs that they, uh, the, the TPAs, those sort of the claims handlers. So they won't be able to see exactly which areas are sort of the areas of profit and loss. And we can see that not just at the individual sort of cover holder level, where we can aggregate that up to see sort of uh, how plumbers in Australia are doing overall and provide that feedback to our cover holders to enable them to sort of write their business better. Similarly, we can also provide this data upwards to our sort of reinsurers. This whole portfolio level, we can provide them access to see sort of like which countries are performing well or sort of which sort of general classes, if they sort of, we have reinsurers that will do sort of our entire portfolio. They're not interested in the sort of risk level data, although they can drill down into that sort of level if they want to. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much the, the value that it provides. It provides. It's different to everyone within the chain. Um, everyone wants to see it in a different way, but you've got to provide them the ability to go down and see. A reinsurer may want to see um, a, an individual risk that they think is causing a problem, but they generally want to see things on portfolio level. Amazing. So it depends on the use case of the people that are using the products and how they want to, to slice and dice it and to, to gain the insights in which they're looking, but your product gives them that malleability in how they can use it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. So look, you've clearly identified an excellent use case for a data product and it's sort of how your business has started. So can you talk us through how this project started, how you identified this area and how are you doing to ensure the long-term scalability and success of a data product and platform like this? That was a very deep question. I think we can keep talking about it for ages, but yeah, but I mean, few points I'd like to touch on. Starting, you know, there's this famous saying, Jeff Bezos as well, that start, start with your customer and work backwards. Often when you're building data products, what's, what happens is data companies harvest a lot of data, bring about a lot of data, and then go upward from there that, hey, we've got this data and we can offer you this and this. But then you often find that the consumers of those insights are often looking for something else. 
And what we've done here is like, because we sit very closely to the business, the underwriters, he's working backwards from there is like, we've got this, we've done exploratory data analysis, our data can give us X, Y, Z, but you tell us what you need. And then we can work with you and work backwards, trying to, first of all, generate those insights. Once we have that, how are we gonna, how are we gonna surface to like, you know, as Fergus said earlier, we've got various different stakeholders. You know, we our platforms used by cub holders, our platforms used by reinsurers, our platforms used by TPS, our platforms used by Times Brokers as well. Our platforms used internally for various different sort of answering various different business questions. And how do you ensure that sort of technical scalability around it? So we've um, we've started with like a really hybrid slash monolith approach there from technology point of view. Building our stack on uh, on Google Cloud first thing first is because we've what we've seen is, you know, Google is from last few years supporting the insure tech innovation quite heavily. And their auto ML solutions, data solutions, data processing solutions are probably one of the cheapest across the market. Like there's Azure, there's AWS. But as a startup, you look at also the speed to from getting your product from your code to deployment and what's how fast you can get it out. And they kind of they sit sort of, you know, I think at the sort of top of the list of those cloud providers which help developers or tech companies to achieve that quite seamlessly. Once we've answered that sort of big question about this is gonna be our uh, house to build tech on, when on about, because this platform is going to be consumed by various different parties, what technologies, what infrastructure do we support? But also being mindful of that it is a startup at the end of the day. We have a limited number of people in tech to begin with. How do you avoid those people spending time on various different services? Like, you know, it's exciting to build everything and anything microservices, but then how do you support that? Because the more you write, the more you have to support, the more you have to maintain. And then the value you're producing is actually, you know, not matching the effort that you're putting in. And we've always tried to look at the innovation and the development from this angle that the, the value over effort lens is whatever effort put in should be getting more value out of it. Because as I said, in the very beginning, we're not building rockets here. It's very simple tools, very simple technologies, copy-based models. So we initially went with quite monolith slash hybrid approach, allowing Google Cloud, giving us the stage to deploy Dockerized applications. We put Django as a backend for our application services. We put like, you know, a common front-end stack, React, Next.js, to build really atomic components that helps us also in the future, saves us time for not pre-designing and rebuilding things from scratch a lot. And kind of designing that entire backend in such a way that the code base is not everywhere. Because if it's everywhere as a startup, most of the time you're spending is managing the code base, cleaning the code base. So how could we employ existing industrial expertise, industrial frameworks that has worked for example, Django, can we just ask developers just to follow best practices of Django? And then you have your whole new world of data ingestion. We consume data, various different types, and you know, from 
really bad looking Excel spreadsheets to quite neat JSON feeds from APIs. And they come in our systems various different times, probably some pipelines run every day, some run like, you know, weekly, some run monthly. And how do you get that data consistently into the platform? Because the shop front is one thing, which is what users are gonna look at, but behind the scenes, all those pipelines. When it's a couple of developers, it's easy. You can just deploy a couple of containers in your cloud and let it do the job. Lift and shift, bring the data, do some processing, put it out there, and then some SQL on it, it's great. But as you know that this platform is gonna grow, your platform's gonna need more and more users coming into it, which means you're gonna to have to put more team around it. So that's where you really start to think you need to put some practices around it so where you're not really micromanaging the team. So allowing team to do full stack development naturally without you micromanaging them. So that's where we, six or seven months into the development of the product, we start to look into solutions like DBT for data modeling, Airflow for general ETL and ETL pipeline orchestration. And then we also realized that as we're hiring a lot of people, it sounds familiar to them. Because if we're hiring a developer in, in the tech team, they've got their own motives. They want something back from a job as well. So as a culture, as a shared culture at Carbon is, you know, when as one, we, we try to sort of, you know, give tools to all the developers, every single team, the graphene, to empower them to do things on their own that sort of, you know, and then work together with other people without building those silos. And these frameworks have actually allowed us to do that cross collaboration across different teams and different people at different skill sets as well. Like they, they must, they could be a graduate in our team and they could be someone with like 10 to 12 years of experience in the industry. How do we sort of, just bridge the gap and make their work on the same platform without any limitations of, sorry, this is too advanced for me. I can't deploy an Airflow pipeline. Can you do it for me? But just making it seamless even for a graduate to work on that. I think that sort of, though I sort of touched upon various different pieces yeah. there, but just to come back to the scalability point there, because it's not often one thing, it's not about how many resources you allow to your one application that, hey, this has got eight gigabytes of memory or 64 gigabytes of memory and it's going to run. It's not always, compute is cheap. It's not always about compute. It's about the operations. It's about the culture. And I think all of the things I said that collectively helped us achieve the situation where we are now and, you know, have an evolving situation. You know, it's, we're never going to be done, but that's helped us answer that scalability Brilliant. question. Brilliant. I, I love there's a few points in there which really stood out. Uh, the, the bit at the beginning about, you know, focusing on working with the business and that business problem at the source. Um, it's such a key point, which I think sometimes in data is forgotten um, and the business and the, the data team are too separate and you're really working with them to help them understand what you can, what their problems are and how you can alleviate their problems with data. And then I think, as you said, the, the key points around the scalability is the enablement of technology and the frameworks that you put in place, which can allow for anyone to, to be able to, to maintain and build and the, on the systems that, that are already there. Um, and then frameworks can govern that make and make sure everyone's at the same level and in the same pace. So that's brilliant. And I mean, you guys haven't been a lot around long, as you said, you're, you're, you're a startup and 
delivering data products at pace is is not easy. You know, every every data team, every business wants tends to 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 once they've made the decision we're going to build this wants to deliver it as as quickly as possible. So. Um, you've already alluded to, to some of the technology that you guys have used, but maybe a, a quick overview of, of, of that technology and, and what processes that you've put in place and, and others can learn from to be able to, to achieve the delivery of, of, some, of a data product like you've delivered at the speed you have. It'd be great to understand that. Yeah, so I think Nav touched on quite a lot of the tech that we use, but really the key, the key bit that underlies that is that it's a, primarily a Python stack. And this, is, as Nav said, allows like anyone in the team to basically get involved with another area, whether that is the back end of the application or Airflow or, or even DVT, you write Python in as well, it allows anyone to get involved in any area. Um, specifically within my team, we'll hire a lot of graduates in. Unless you're doing a computer science degree, the most common language across any sort of STEM degree is Python. And so it makes it very easy with the graduates we get in for them to become comfortable with basically the entire tech stack within quite a short period of time. They already know the sort of core fundamentals behind it. And um, it allows us just to be like, well, have a go at an airflow job, for example. Like there's no pressure behind it. We're not trying to like, again, we're, we're trying to empower everyone to do a bit of everything. So that just like if someone's away, anyone can jump onto it. And we're also trying to empower people to do their own projects as well. So if, Anything that they might find interesting, we're giving time to just go and focus on their own their own projects. The whole the fact that the whole tech stack is written in this sort of core language, in this common language, makes it sort of very easy for anyone to do that. I think we've probably talked about the most of the, the tech yeah. stack with like Python, DBT, Airflow, Google Cloud. Um, another great thing about Google Cloud is just it's got a lot of documentation for everything it's got in sort of a variety of different languages as well. Um, some of the other cloud providers will put a sort of a new product up with little to no documentation on it, which is great if you already sort of have an understanding of it from another platform, but if it's an entirely new product to you, you could be less sort of floundering on and Stack Overflow and stuff like that for some rogue answer that someone's put up five years ago about it. So, Or, or in fact, ChatGPT these days. <laughs> yeah. Just, just make a search where it's like, sorry, I don't know, because the documentation is not... Uh, that documentation part actually helped a lot of our graduates to pick things to really, really fast pace. And also to touch upon, like, you know, what people see uh, in, your, in your question, uh, they should actually, when deciding which stack and solutions to pick, what we've tried to do always is, yeah, we've got a stack which is very people-focused, which is very human-focused, but also how effectively you could deliver your value proposition. So you've got to prove that, in our case, you got to prove that can you build a product, a data product that could give me, you know, a single source of truth across sort of various intersections of the business. How effectively you could prove that, how cheaply and quickly you could prove that, and then how you could design a piece of tech. Like, for example, we picked Python. Obviously, we realized that it's the speed of learning and the support around it that'll help us deliver that value proposition faster rather than sticking on uh, like, hey, I'm a big fan of Rust. I'm going to go with Rust because it can, it is fast, it is efficient, it can do X, Y, Z. Yeah, great, but uh, I'm not going to be the only person that's going to be coding here. I need to look at how this platform is going to be grown. I need to look at the value proposition side of it, how this tech is actually going to be helping business to deliver their value proposition business 
doesn't care about whether it's Rust, Python, or Job. It cares about, is my number looking right that I'm looking at? Or is my data looking right? Or when I click at this button, is it taking me to the right place? And at that point, you don't really sort of look at. So it's subconscious choices, the very beginning. Everything is fine if you just you know, put some healthy boundaries around it and then take it from there, evolve, don't settle on one thing, but be open to new changes and then keep evolving and iterate. And also the, the best way to create a silo is to have that situation before of the, I come in, I want to, I want to do this in Rust. And it's like, well, no one else. So if you want to leave, then we're sort of, we're pretty screwed at that point. Because you've got to have, so you've got to then spend a lot of time learning Rust or just rewriting from scratch. So very much the best way to create a silo is having an individual in your team. And once you've created that culture, you will naturally see people, let's say you hit a problem where Python's got a latency, Python adds a lot of latency. Now, obviously, certainly we don't have those problems in our industry. But let's say you hit a problem where Python's not being the right solution to serve that problem. But if you created that culture, that mindset around the team, around the tech team like that, they will naturally be open to finding new solutions and people will come that. Then they are not forced. Then they are like, you know, coming internally from the team. That makes perfect sense. And I think it's the, uh, the key points that you made, obviously, is the molding your technology and your stack and your processes to your people and to your culture. Um, that's such a, such an important thing. It's great that there's might be, you know, this uh, tool which can do X, but if you know you haven't got the people to use it and the knowledge to be able to exploit it, then what's the point, right? And also, like one one point here, Fergus and I was chatting a few days earlier is why to code the big question when in the team you've got all the solutions, you've got to deliver certain things, you've got to achieve certain objectives as a tech team. Yes, you can write code from scratch to do that. The more you write, the more you have to maintain, the more you have to govern. So the question around, is there any off-the-shelf product? Is there anything open source out there which we can use? And there there must be something, yeah? There must be something to do that if we look out. And can we repurpose it? For example, Airflow, yeah? We want to write a pipeline to bring data from source A to B. Is there a pre-built community DAG that we can use? to do that. So the big question around why to code, I think is really important every time if any developer says, I really want to code this. Okay, if you really want to do this, let's see if it's not already available there in our ecosystem, DBT module or any Airflow module or any Django plugin. If it's not there, then let's code from scratch. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And I think as organizations scale and we see more of these data meshes and siloed teams across an organization. That's one of the big problems. You know, you have people recreating the same code. And I think sometimes it's right. Can we find this elsewhere? Because we're making more work for ourselves and time is is valuable at the end of the day. And that's a really nice sort of segue to the sort of next section. You've spoken quite a bit about technology, but I know we've previously spoke about this sort of blueprint and this copy and paste that you've been able to enact here at Carbon. Can you elaborate more on the, the, the structure of the team and how this sort of blueprint of the team has been able to empower your work and your ability to deliver a data product? Yeah, so we've, we've got three pillars of our sort of, of our tech team. Um, we've got the data operations team, 
They're largely focused on data ingestion and data quality from our sort of the various different sources that we get it that we get in. We've got the engineering team, which NAB heads up, which is focused on the sort of the infrastructure for the platform, for the web app we've got, for all of the sort of Google Cloud infrastructure, that sort of bit. And then we've got the analytics team, which I lead. Um, and the analytics team is very much a sort of a cross-functional like role. Um, which I would get if you, if you were to find me sort of a sort of project slash product manager, analytics engineer, data engineer, data analyst, sort of a bit of everything. And we're sort of sitting with the sitting amongst the business to try and sort of ascertain what their needs are. We will largely when we start any project, we will have a sort of a business sponsor. I think that is absolutely crucial. We're very lucky in the fact that our tool is sort of mostly internal at the moment. We give it out to customers, we give it out to people that we're affiliated with, but we're not sort of selling it as a SaaS application. So to have an internal business sponsor is extremely important. You need someone that will sort of um, stand up and sh- basically sort of shout your corner when it comes to any sort of, why have you done this? What's the purpose of this? Also, it sort of proves that there's a want for it within the business. So we, I think when we started off, one of the problems that we had was that we wanted to make basically just cool stuff. And we made some sort of cool products, um, but they weren't really adopted by the general team, by the underwriting side of the business, because while they look cool and they look cool in demos, they just no one wanted to use them essentially. And what we really should have started off with was a business sponsor for that in order to um, in order to just like make sure it's a useful product to build. And there was maybe some time wasted at the start with that, but now we've got this sort of, um, we'll have a business sponsor, we'll have a member of the analytics team sort of working as this sort of like subject matter expert with like, the underwriting slash also have a knowledge of the tech side. We'll have a member of the engineering team on every project as well. And w- when necessary, a sort of data operations member as well. So we try and get, it's a little bit like this, like we, there's all these different models, like this hub and spoke, there's the tribes and squads where you have like the sort of cross diet, yeah. the cross lines like that. It's a little bit, sort of you need to sort of decide what's best for you. I wouldn't say sticking to a strict like model like that. We have, we've had a look at implementing all of them, but really with the size of our team, it doesn't really make sense. Like there's only sort of four people, four or five people in each team. It doesn't really make sense to sort of just stick each one of those people onto sort of one project and have them work on that. And also like imposing it on the, on the business side of things as well, because underwriters are not really sort of, you know, they, they've never been working embedded with tech teams. They've never been around that culture. And all of a sudden when you uh, impose that, hey, this is the new way the product development is going to happen, that might be sort of a restriction to their day-to-day, how they do it. So we sort of try to be as flexible with various different approaches and see what we could sort of change and learn and adopt as we go with the active feedback from underwriters as well. Ultimately, work was best for them because if the change comes from them first and then we apply, then we know that it's actually making them more efficient in doing their job. That's the ultimate goal. I think you made some great points there, but I love the one about having that business stakeholder shouting your corner, that advocate. Um, it's, I think it's something that we're still missing within the data industry, more advocates within the, the business or the data team recruiting them than, than people to, to shout about what you're doing. Because as data people, you, you still need to be salespeople. You still need to get people to use the products that you're building. And I think that reverts nicely back to how you set out when you said you started this data product. It was all about working with uh, the business to understand 
problems and it's about taking them on that journey so that when you deliver that tool at the end, it's not a surprise to them. They, they knew this was coming and they were, were excited about it. And, and that enablement, I think, is, is something that uh, is, is still often missed within the industry. So I think that's definitely one of the key, key takeaway points I, I took from, from that. So what are the other sort of biggest lessons that you guys have, have made at, at Carbon? You know, other people that are on journeys of building data products for their, their business, what, what advice would you give, give to them? I think I would always say this, but there's, there's, I think there's two main things. The first one is sort of, at least when you're in your sort of startup era, I guess, is the uh, build fast, fail fast, as in just build everything, make a quick POC of it, show it to the business sort of like, like what we were talking about, this sort just, of like just get it business out. owner, whatever it is, um, and just get it out there, show it, and then think about productionizing it afterwards. If you spend three months getting some really pretty production level code and it all looks fancy and then someone goes, I don't care about this, then you've wasted so much time with that. Um, also, the other one is just be ready to pivot at any point. With us specifically, we thought that the analytics were going to be all about this sort of like... Um, underwriting performance, which it is to a degree, but what it's what we've really found it to be useful with is the efficiency within the business. So we've been able to scale very quickly in terms of sort of revenue or premium without that much of an increase in headcount. I think normally a company of our size, sort of in terms of the premiums that we're doing, would be double or triple the size in terms of headcount. We're still in the sort of like mid-40s in terms of headcount. It's because we just don't need as many team members to do the same tasks. Other insurance companies will have a whole team to do reinsurance, sort of manage the reinsurance relationships and statements and all that bit. We have one person within the tech team who just sort of hits the button, prints out the statements every month because we've got this sort of common data model in place. Again, that, I think that's the sort of main thing that we've found um, in terms and, of this pivoting for us. And I'll go back to that big question about why to code, always keep asking that question. You know, I've spoken with quite a few startups around sort of London market and it's around yeah, we're not building rockets, repeating myself. We're not building rockets here in the insurance tech market. Very simple solutions. Just ask yourself a question repetitively. I'm building this new thing. Do I really need to code? Can I just go out and see other markets? What's already there? And then, you know, spend a bit of time on research. Be mindful about what you're actually picking and then come back and then try and apply that solution get it out in the hands of the customer as soon as you can in as simplest format as you can to prove that there is value in that solution. And if you can't prove that value as quickly, as simply, then probably you need to rethink move that <laughs> or move on to something else. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Um, simple. Simple is sexy. People like stuff that is easy to understand, is simple, and also it's easy for you guys to maintain the, in the long run. Um, as well. So guys, what's next for the team at Carbon Underwriting? Um, what's next for Graphene, your product? Yeah, so um, we've recently just had sort of a very exciting amount of PE funding, which will just enable us to expand both the underwriting side, so as, a, as an insurance entity and also the tech side. Um, we're in an exciting period of planning at the moment for sort of what we can do with this extra money that we've been given. So there's lots and lots of areas for tech. I won't say, <laughs> I won't say anything quite yet, uh, but um, lots of exciting areas for us to expand into tech-wise and also from an insurance product perspective. And well. I think th this question is often asked, like, you know, now, yeah, graphene's there. Like, what's, what do you want to do next with this tool? But 
as we evolve, just before you guys arrived, we were chatting about this point is we you should never like, you know, you should never stop perfecting what you've already got. I think regardless the new solutions, the new ideas that will be coming around graphene and more tech is one thing that should never stop and will never stop as we grow is how we keep perfecting what we already got, how we keep perfecting the modeling approaches that we've got, how we keep reiterating, rethinking better ways of doing that because it's not done, it's never done. And once you settle, then that, that's it. That's where you start the legacy and then things become legacy. So what I think the most important thing is like, never stop perfecting what we've already got, the data models we've already got. And then the new world, the new exciting stuff, everyone's talking about the new techs, they, they, they're gonna keep coming. And the, once you've got this sort of culture that we've talked about where everyone can do everything, people are empowered to do tech and they're gonna keep coming up with new ideas because yeah. they are naturally empowered to do that with the tools that they have done. Yeah, I think that's um, great. I mean, don't move away too far away from your core value driver and, and what, you're, what you set out to do in, in the first place. So it sounds like really exciting time ahead, fresh injection of cash to play with and um, new ideas to explore. So it sounds like a great time to, to be at or to be joining Carbon Underwriting. So guys, that brings us almost to the end of the show. Um, it's been great speaking, but before I let you go, we have a, a quick fire round of questions we ask all the guests to help data professionals on their career and with tips from you guys in the industry. So the first question, how do you assess a job opportunity and what makes a good job opportunity to you? I mean, for me personally, the culture of the firm is very important. They can have the fanciest tech, they can have the sort of like the best product, the greatest like vision and roadmap. But if you go into a company and the culture's not there for sort of just like, again, to empower people to do their own learning and development and also just to have a good time. Like you spend five out of seven days of your week at your job, you should enjoy going into work. There are a lot of, a lot of my friends who work in various other industries don't enjoy their jobs. I can sort of pretty thoroughly say that I enjoy my job, especially with the culture that we've got here at Carbon. That's great. That's great. I think it's so important, as you said, you spend so much of your life, you might as well enjoy what you and what you do. And, and that environment also should challenge you and should should inspire you to, to get better. So great point. What's your, your best advice for people interviewing? Just be honest. Always do an exciting project on the side. That just shows your drive. I think to me, when I interview people, is yeah, your job's great, but what's your vision? Yeah. What are you doing out? What's your passion? What's your and passion? Yeah, the, I think the honesty is such a, a good point. It, it links in nicely with the culture piece, doesn't it? Um, if you're honest and true to, to yourself, I think that shows through with the interviewer. And uh, I suppose the final one for both of you, what would you recommend if you could recommend one resource to help data professionals upskill? Yeah, I mean, Nav said W3 schools, absolute, <laughs> absolute classic of, I'm sure every single tech professional has been on there at some point in their career. Um, personally, um, just a shout out to a YouTube channel called Tech with Tim. Basically, every time that I wanted to go and find out a new sort of framework or do any of my own personal projects, he has everything there. He has the best way of explaining things. He's just super knowledgeable um, and relatable. So would recommend him as a good resource. I think just, just pick a project like, I often say, like, say I want to build the next Facebook. Just go build it. You'll learn a lot. And even though you're not really competing in the market, you just learn a lot. Pick a project 
and say, I'm going to do that, and then explore, figure it out, and learn by doing. And there are these LLMs to answer to make life a lot easier <laughs> these days. So use that to your power, often save time in learning as well. Brilliant. I like that. And yeah, um, I think YouTube's always a great, great resource as well. And uh, yeah, shout out to, to what, what Tech with Tim. Tech with Tim. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Well, look, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure um, to hear about club and underwriting, the work that you're doing with Graphene and how you're transforming the industry. It's been yeah, a pleasure to have you both on the show. And thanks for, for joining me. Cheers. Thank you for having us. No worries. And uh, we'll see everyone else next week. Bye. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I really hope you've learned something. I know I have. The Stack Podcast aims to share real journeys and lessons that empower you and the entire community. Together, we aim to unlock new perspectives and overcome challenges in the ever-evolving landscape of modern data. Today's episode was brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest releases. More importantly, if you believe this episode could benefit someone you know, please share it with them. We're always on the lookout for new guests who have inspiring stories and valuable lessons to share with our community. If you or someone you know fits that bill, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've been Harry Gollop from Cognify, your host and guide on this data-driven journey. Until next time, over and out.